the real question. Price is right. <laughs> is Joe going to be dressed as Drew Carey or the one and only Bob Barker? I'm a Bob Barker guy, just personally. Um, anyway, uh, we are continuing our sermon series of first, wrapping it up today. Excited to start I Am uh, sermon series and the media team. Joel did a great job of creating that bumper. And did you hear that voice, that video? Mark Impostato, he's going to quit his job. He's going to do voice stuff. His wife just found out about it today. Anyway, um, we're continuing talking about what is first in our lives and is Jesus first in our lives. And what happens oftentimes when we follow Jesus is we say yes to him, and we say, yes, we're going to trust you with everything we've got, Jesus, and then the finance conversation starts, and we go, oh, I don't, I don't know about that, Jesus. And so we're looking at passages that are convicting, that are challenging for us as Americans, uh, because we, we tend to um, idolize money, um, being rich, having resources. We put our faith in those things. And Jesus really talks plainly about um, the idolatry of our hearts in regards to that. And so we've been in this journey of looking at Matthew chapter 6 the last two weeks. In Matthew chapter 6, week 1, verse 19 through 24, Jesus said plainly, you can't serve God in money, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first and put your treasures in heaven. Week 2, we continue the conversation in Matthew chapter 6. You can't let worry drive you. The kingdom is what needs to drive you, knowing that God takes care of all of us. He takes care of us continually over and over and over again. And um, today we're continuing that conversation in Luke chapter 12. If you got your Bibles, I'd love for you to open there to Luke chapter 12. It's the same exact conversation, but Luke has an expanded version of the conversation of what Jesus said to his disciples when it comes to finances, uh, resources. And um, so we're gonna be there. But I wanna tell you that... Um, what I find fascinating is um, how quickly I can forget things, but how quickly my kids remember things and convict me with just a statement. Anybody have parents? You guys are parents where your kids say stuff and you're like, oh man, they get it. They remember it and I forget it. And that happened yesterday again as we were driving down the road. I don't know, I don't know how we got to this conversation because I was focused on other things, but all of a sudden, talk about people being rich and what does it mean to be rich and even like what does it mean to even tell people oh well they're rich or saying that statement offhand and my one of my kids just says I think we're really rich we're rich relationally and financially and I was like ooh, like do I really remember how rich I really am how blessed I really am, how good I really have it. And if you don't realize that, you are. The fact that you're here today in this place, in this city, in this state, in this country, you are rich. You might be saying, well, I'm single. I'm not rich. I'm going to college. I'm not rich. I just want to encourage you. There are some great websites out there. I don't know the name of them, but if you just Google, how rich am I compared to the rest of the world? And you put in your $18,000 a year that you make, you're loaded. You are rich. And you have an abundance. God has blessed you. And the real question is, is do you even have that mindset that you are blessed, that you're rich? And secondly, what are you doing with what God has given to you? 
That's really what this whole sermon series has been about, is are we approaching everything we have with how the world defines things or how Scripture defines things? And we're continuing that conversation in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is in the midst of a conversation with someone who wants um, to settle a financial dispute with his family. This is what he says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat drink and be merry but God said to him you fool this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God you just read it the first thing that I often come across and the first thing you might be coming across is this this reality of of this man has an abundance and he tears down his barns and he he builds bigger ones to store that abundance and so then the question often is like well can can I not have abundance can I not save what am I supposed to do with money how am I supposed to save? Is it okay to save? What, what do I do? And here's the thing, is there are a lot of passages that talk a lot of, about a lot of different things in regards to money, and oftentimes it's like contradictory. Sometimes we read passages and we go, you know what, I, I read this passage, therefore this is how I'm going to live, and this is how we're all called to live, and this big theology about how to approach money. For example, when it comes to the spectrum of interpretation of money, there is the thing called the poverty gospel. What is the poverty gospel? Gospel poverty is the selling of all one's possessions and giving the proceeds to the poor. It is to live with nothing of one's own and refuse regular gifts that could be relied on. It's where we get the passage where Jesus says, sell all your possessions and give them to the to the need, to the poor. So there's people out there that say, this is how we should live, impoverished. We should live poor. And the reason why is because oftentimes we've got idolatry with our heart about the stuff actually owning us. That's one end of the spectrum. Some of you are like, oh, I haven't heard that one. Almost everyone's heard the other end of the spectrum when it comes to money, the health and wealth, the prosperity gospel, that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And if you just had enough faith, you would be blessed by God with health and with wealth. How many of you guys heard of the prosperity gospel? Of course you have, because when you're at home late at night, can't fall asleep, you turn on the TV, you turn on the televangelist, and he's asking for the jet, right? Right? Well, guess what's new in the budget at Real Life Ministries this year, you guys? (laughs) No. No, I'm serious. No, no. Two different, like, perspectives, right? We've got to live impoverished and in poverty. That's godly. We've got to be rich. And the way you get rich is by giving to me, and then God will bless you. And, like, if you're not healthy, you're not wealthy, well, then you must have done something wrong. God's upset with you. You don't have enough faith. And we look at these passages, and we go, man, that's what it kind of seems like. But then we have other these passages that kind of contradict that. So Jesus says, don't build bigger barns. Don't store your surplus grain. But we have other, these other passages where it talks about working and having money 
taking care of your family. Uh, for uh, Second Thessalonians, listen to these words. These words are strong. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we not have that right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but your busy bodies instead. Ooh. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed, and do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Heavy. Like dropping the hammer. Paul's like, get to work. There's other passages in Ephesians 4, talks about doing honest work with your hands so that someone may uh, be in need, you can share with them. 1 Timothy 5 says that if you don't take care of your household, you've denied the faith, and you're not even considered a believer at that moment. Then later, uh, earlier in 1 Thessalonians, there's another passage that Paul talks about, about the same exact problem. So the people in Thessalonica, there are some people in there a little lazy, Paul had to say it twice, get to work. We're supposed to live poor? No, not necessarily. Paul says, get to work. Take care of your family. Pay your bills. Money is used to provide for your family. This is the reality of why God has actually put the world into its place. From the very beginning, he's actually called us to go to work. In the very beginning, in Genesis he put a man and husband and wife, Adam and Eve, in the garden, and he said, steward the garden. Work it. Put it to work. And money is part of that process of taking care of your family, providing for your family. Well, what about saving? Jesus says, don't build bigger barns. Well, what about these passages? Proverbs chapter 21. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but the fools gulp all theirs down. Proverbs 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Money, not only something that we provide for our family, it's also something that we save. And I love that last passage, Proverbs chapter 13, because I'll be honest, buy a lottery ticket every now and then, you know. But you hear those stories, don't you? Someone wins millions of dollars and five years later, they're bankrupt. Because oftentimes, we're given something, but we don't have the character to actually manage it and steward it well. That's what we see. And so money's not something that we have to go, oh, like, we can't save it. No, we can save it. Bible says we should save it. Bible says we should work hard. It's wise to save. But what about retirement? Any of you guys approaching retirement in retirement? Okay. Well, here's the good thing. The Bible doesn't say anything about retirement. 
kind of. The Bible is silent about retirement. And so our approach to Scripture when things are silent, there's one approach. The one approach is to say, well, if it's silent, then it's bad. And there's a lot of churches and Christians that do that. If the Bible doesn't talk about it, then it's bad. Which is the reason why you go to church sometimes and there's no electric guitar, there's no piano, there's none of those other things because those things must be bad, which you can tell where we land on that interpretation. <laughs> Just because the Bible says it's silent on the topic doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad. Most likely it's amoral. It's not good or bad. It's actually how you approach it. Which is where we get to retirement. It's where we get to savings. It's where we bring in this passage. In Luke chapter 12, I want you to notice the mindset that the man has about his wealth. The mindset this man has about his abundance. Verse 15, he said to them, Jesus said to this man, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus is making a statement to this man. You believe that life is all about abundance. More, more, more for the sake of more. Most likely because this man had misunderstood that his abundance meant that he could be served more. Verse 19, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now we're starting to kind of look a little bit like American retirement a little bit. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Here's my hope, here's my desire. Is that we as believers... People who look at our finances, our resources through the lens of the kingdom and realize that everything that God's been given to me, I'm called to steward, that I'm supposed to work for it, that I'm supposed to, to, to save and all those things that I take care of my family, I take care of my bills and that I give and I'm rich towards God but that everything that I have would be for the glory of Jesus and his kingdom. Everything. And that maybe there would be Christians they stand up as they move towards retirement, as you move towards more abundance, we'd go, well, God's given me. I now have the ability to give more. Financially, maybe. But not only with our finances, with our time, energy, everything. That maybe retirement could be redeemed. That retirement, I wrote this down, that retirement is actually financial freedom for you to be able to live and pay your bills as you get older and frees you up to serve and invest more time and energy into relationships with family, friends, and advancing God's kingdom. So yeah, going golfing is good in retirement. Can I get an amen, right? Golfing's good. But is it just about golfing all the time? Is it just about eat, drink, be merry or that maybe God would invite you to something greater like my friend Connie and Boyd Phillips who I, I can't remember if Connie's retired I know that Boyd is he's in his 60s and they just went to a youth winter retreat 
Every Sunday night, they're here serving with teenagers. I asked them like a week after, I go, how are you doing from the youth winter retreat? We're still recovering. It's been a week. <laughs> up till midnight, up at 6 a.m. Like, yeah. They love Jesus and his kingdom. Retired or nearing retirement and they're loving on teenagers. What about Linda Altry? I remember it was like a year or two years ago. She comes to me and Linda's like, I'm retiring. Oh, it's so amazing. She's like, I want to help with the landscaping outside. I want to do flowers. You remember guys last Easter when tulips came up? You remember that? It was amazing. Why? Because it's beautiful. Why does that matter? Because there's new people that come here every single week. And the first thing they see is that sign and those flowers. And what does that flowers, those flowers say? It says we take care of our facility. Why? Because we want to we wanna welcome you. If we're going to take care of the outside, then we're going to also take care of you inside here. And then we're going to send you out in the community and love you out there too. Everything that God has given to us, we're called to steward. Not only that, but Linda teams up with Heather and launches a women's ministry together. Why? Because she wants to make disciples and makes disciples. What can Linda do? Eat. Drink, be merry. No. I'm sure she's enjoying rest, but she's also saying, it's time to go to work. It's time to impact lives. I've, I've, you've heard me talk about Roger Bunsey. Roger Bunsey is in his 70s, and he decided in his 70s he's going to Boise Bible College. Roger, why are you doing that? Because I want to make disciples. I want to pastor people. I want to make a difference in people's lives. Abundance. What am I doing with the abundance? What are you doing with the abundance that God has given you? And do you have a vision for where you're going? And is that vision for where you're going centered with Jesus in the middle of it in his kingdom and making a difference in people's lives? Or is it for you to be served or for you to serve? To give more of yourself the point that Jesus is trying to make in this passage is that money and possessions, they're meant to be viewed with this lens of the kingdom. That money and possessions are meant to be great tools and serve a lot of purposes, a lot of good purposes. And when we align our hearts to the kingdom, when we keep money and possessions in their proper place, not only does it bring glory to God, but in addition to that, it's a way for us to combat the things in our lives that oftentimes in my own flesh, my own selfishness, I tend to think about me instead of Jesus and his kingdom. This is the point. Be on guard against all types of greed, Jesus said, in abundance of possessions. Can you have an abundance of possessions and not be greedy? Absolutely. What Jesus cares about is where your heart is. And whether or not you have an abundance or whether you have little, whether you have a lot or very little, what Jesus wants us to do is continually live in a place of contentment with all that we have. And Paul mastered this, and he talks about it, Philippians chapter four. He said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, he says to the Philippian church. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be, what's he say? I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in, 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 in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, 
abundance and need. Now, here comes the passage that all of us have tattooed on our arm if we're Christians, right? Well, maybe not everybody, but you see the sports guys have it on their arm, on their eye in baseball, or posting it on social media. I can do all things through who gives me. This is talking about finances, resources, abundance, low. Not whether you can punch the guy out across from you in the boxing ring, right? Jesus is saying, or Paul's saying, I've learned to be content in every situation. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, he says. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you only. You were the only ones that supported me financially. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. What about you? Are you content? Or do you need bigger barns? And why do you need bigger barns? Is it for yourself? Or is it for your family? To pay bills? To take care of yourself? And to then move the mission forward? Jesus is inviting you to live with contentment and vision for the kingdom of God instead of grasping, clawing, always needing more, 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 more. So as we wrap up this sermon series, there's a couple of things I would like you to do. The first one I'd love for you to do is you've got a bulletin. I'd love for you guys to open up that bulletin. Uh, as you came in, you should have received one. I'd love for you to open that up. And inside that bulletin, there is a card. And what I would love for you to seriously consider is filling that out either today or this week and talking to your family, talking to your spouse and saying, what would it look like for us to take one of these commitments seriously? What would it look like for us to take a next step in trusting Jesus with all that we have, all of our possessions? And we've been kind of going through this journey every single week of looking at what does it mean to take a next step with our finances. And some of these things, some of you have been married for 15 years and you're still struggling when it comes to the financial conversation. What would it look like for you to put a stake in the ground and say, we're gonna figure this out for our kids, for our grandkids, so that the pain and the experiences we have, they would not be passed on from generation to generation, that I would actually begin to disciple my family to know how to steward resources well. I mean, today, just to give you guys an idea, I got to meet with a, a couple of this last week that that was their story. Like, my family didn't do this well. I had to figure it out. And guess what they're doing now? They're walking beside other people in our church. They're walking beside other people in our church. So what would it look like for you to take a look at this and to say, I'm gonna commit to one of these things? What would it look like for you to say, ask the question, am I rich towards God? Jesus asked. Are you rich towards God with all that you have? You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. Just like we talked about, advancing God's kingdom, being a good steward, living off a budget, starting a budget, giving and tithing 
being the first thing you do in that budget. Saving is the next thing. Living off the rest of your budget and living with contentment. Maybe some of you are already doing that. You're doing a good job of that. Maybe you are nearing retirement. What would it look like for you to go, maybe I need to rethink why I'm doing retirement. Not that you're not gonna retire. Not that you wouldn't have financial freedom. But what's the end game here? Like, what am I really trying to accomplish? And what does it look like in the last years of our lives to go, you know what? I don't want my kids or my grandkids to ever forget what I was about in these last seasons, these last years that I really cared about. That I really cared about whatever hobby I get to go do. Which those hobbies aren't bad, right? They're not bad. But is that the end? Here on earth? Or Jesus' kingdom here on earth in eternity? What's the end look like? And how can you as a disciple of Jesus pour all of your energy in letting people know about the goodness of your God and the goodness of Jesus and how he died for you and that you're willing to give up everything for him? What does it look like for you to live out generosity when the Spirit calls you to act, that you act, that you live in contentment with whatever God's given you? I want to invite you as we wrap up today and we get ready to go to communion is just to bow your heads and just have a conversation with Jesus about what is first whether you're single, trying to figure out the budget, and you're inviting someone to hold you accountable in that, whether you're newly married and you're figuring out finances together, is this a conversation that you have openly with your new spouse? Or are you the only one that controls the finances and you leave the other person in the dark? What would it look like for you to come together? For those of you that have been married for 10, 15 years, are you ready to say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired about this conversation? I gotta do something different. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to. Whatever it is that Jesus is inviting you into in this conversation, will you talk to him about it? Will you welcome him into it?